But if we could, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read in the Gospel according to John, in chapter 3. The Gospel according to John, chapter 3. And if we read again at verse 4. John 3 at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, that is to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. As you know, uh, God willing, at the close of this morning's service, uh, the sacrament of baptism will be administered to little Donny Norman Graham. And it's always a privilege to see two parents desiring to bring their child up uh, to know and to love the Lord. And as parents, there's no greater responsibility than to bring up your child to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And you know, that's what baptism is all about. Baptism is all about the need to be born again. Baptism is a reminder, as Jesus says here in verse 7, that you must be born again. Baptism is a reminder that you must be born again. Because baptism is not just something that we do because it's in our family or it's something that our parents or our grandparents did, so we must do it too. Nor is baptism a safety feature for our child where we think that if we give our children baptism, they'll be safe. Because having your child baptized, it doesn't save them. It doesn't guarantee their salvation. It doesn't even make them more special than a child who is not baptized. Because baptism, it has no saving powers whatsoever. It doesn't protect your children. It doesn't make them a Christian. And it doesn't guarantee that they'll go to heaven. Because this water, which Donnie is going to be baptized with at the end of the service, it's not holy water. It's not magical water. It's not mystical water. It's not a, a water that will change Donnie in any way. It's just ordinary water. Straight out of the tap. And you know I feel sorry for parents. Who bring their children for baptism. And then they never come back to church. Of course it's the responsibility of the church. To ensure parents. That they know what they're doing. And why they're doing it. But what some parents completely misunderstand. Is that baptism. It's not a safety feature. It doesn't have saving powers. It doesn't secure the eternal well-being of their child. No baptism. As we've said from the outset, it's a sacrament. Baptism is a sacrament. And we refer to baptism as a sacrament because the word sacrament, it comes from the Latin sacramentum, meaning solemn oath. There are only two sacraments in the church. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the sacrament of baptism. And in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, those who come forward, those who sit at the Lord's table, they are not only proclaiming or professing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again, they're also solemnly taking an oath before God 
that they will live in submission to Jesus Christ, to his church, and that they will live according to the Bible. But in the sacrament of baptism, and in the case of baptizing a child, the parent, they make, the parents, they make the solemn oath before God that they will bring up their child in the visible church. They will teach their child in their home to live in submission to Jesus Christ, to his church, and according to the teaching of the Bible. And so I just want to say from the outset that baptism, it's not a safety feature. It doesn't have saving powers. It doesn't secure the eternal well-being of a child. Baptism is a sacrament. It's a solemn oath that we make before God, an oath for which we will be accountable on the day of judgment. But you know, don't get me wrong. Baptism is a joyous occasion. We are welcoming Donnie into the visible church. But it's also a solemn occasion where Scott and Mary, they are promising in God's strength and God's grace to bring up Donnie in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it's solemn. And the reason it's, and because it's solemn, you'll all be asked to stand when Scott and Mary take their vows. Because it's all before God that we're doing this today. And you know, for those of us who have already baptized our children, me, three children, they're still, these children, they're still living under a roof. And same for yourselves, those who have baptized children and they're under your roof. What Scott and Mary do here today, it ought to make us question ourselves and ask, have I been faithful to my baptism vows? Have I upheld my vows? Before God. And where I failed. Or where you might have failed. In your vows before God. Because we've all failed. We failed because we didn't take them seriously enough. We failed maybe because we weren't fulfilling. Fulfilling what we've promised to do. And we need to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. We need to seek his help. To keep the vows. Which we have made before him. And you know when I say this. I'm saying it to myself. Because I've made these vows too as I said. And I have to honour these vows. But as we mentioned, there's no greater responsibility to bring than to bring up your child to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Because that's what baptism is all about. It's all about the need to be born again. And that's what Jesus is reminding us in this passage. Where he has this nighttime meeting with this man called Nicodemus. Jesus is reminding us in this passage about the need to be born again. And in relation to the importance of baptism, I'd just like us to consider this passage together under three headings. The three headings, the meeting, the misunderstanding, and the message. The meeting, the misunderstanding, and the message. So we look first of all at the meeting. The meeting in verses 1 to 3. We're told, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Gospel of John is perhaps most well known for this chapter and verse 16. Where John 3.16 is a verse, it's, it's known the world over, And it's often been described as the gospel in miniature. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
But you know, that verse, which I'm sure we're all very familiar, it came at the end of a nighttime meeting with this man called Nicodemus. And from the outset of chapter 3, we're given a description of Nicodemus and the condition of Nicodemus' soul. Because we're told in verse 1 that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, Nicodemus sought to live by the strictest possible rules of his religion. Because Pharisees, they were, they were obsessed with the law. And they lived strict and upright lives. But more often than not, the heart of a Pharisee was very far away from God. And their lives were just a show of outward appearance. The Pharisees were hypocrites. They had this facade of religion. And they just wanted to be seen by everyone else. Because as the New Testament tells us that when a Pharisee gave money to the temple, they sounded a trumpet. When they prayed, they prayed on the street corner so that everyone would hear their wonderful long prayers. When they fasted, they put on a face so that everyone would know that they're fasting. And so for the, so for the Pharisees, it was all about outward appearance. It was all about this facade and being able to be seen by others. But none of it pleased God. And you know that's one of the greatest dangers of religion. That we just do things to be seen by others. And my friend let's not pretend that Pharisaic practices are dead. Because they're not. There are many Pharisees who come to church just to be seen by others. There are many Pharisees who will say the right things and do the right things. And try and keep up all the appearances. But as Jesus said to the Pharisees in his day, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But you know, as John reminds us at the end of chapter 2, he says, Jesus knew all people. Jesus knew all people. And it should be a warning to us not to come to church just to be seen and just to give lip service to Jesus. Because Jesus knows us. He knows our heart. And he knows the condition of our soul before God today. But you know Nicodemus he was not only a Pharisee. He was also a ruler of the Jews. He was in a position of authority within his own religion. But more than that Nicodemus he was a well known and well respected man in his community. And yet when he came to Jesus he was seeking the truth. But the thing is Nicodemus wasn't ignorant of his Bible. Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel. He was, you could say, a professor of theology. He, he knew what the scriptures taught. He knew all about his Bible. But what Nicodemus was going to discover was that there's a radical difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. There's a radical difference between knowing about the Lord and knowing what the Bible says in your head and loving the Lord and loving what the Bible says in your heart. There's a radical difference. And I, know, I have no doubt that many of you in here today, you all know who Jesus is. You all know why Jesus has come. You all know that Jesus died upon the cross to save sinners. But many of you only know it in your head and not in your heart. And you only know it in your head and not in your heart because you haven't asked the Lord to open your heart. Therefore, like Nicodemus, Sad to say that when you come to church, is it true of you that you only worship God with your lips, but your heart is far from him? You know, there's one more thing about Nicodemus. 
And it's that we're told he came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night. And with this, John, is, he's more than telling us the hour of the day that Nicodemus had this meeting with, with Jesus. John is telling us that there was another kind of darkness that was covering the soul of Nicodemus. He's telling us that Nicodemus was walking in darkness. But the amazing thing was he was being drawn into the light. Nicodemus was walking in darkness, but he was being drawn into the light. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because this well-known and well-respected man, he didn't want anyone else to know what was going on in his heart and in his soul. Nicodemus didn't want anyone else to know that he was being drawn to Jesus. He didn't want anyone to know that he was interested in the gospel. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you can see yourself just like Nicodemus. Maybe you're just putting on the outward appearance. But deep down, deep down, you know that you're walking in darkness. And you know that you need to come into the light. And yet, all the time there's this thing in you. There's something in you that you're being drawn to the light. You're drawn to Jesus. You're drawn to his words. You're drawn to the way he speaks to you. And how he speaks to you and how he loves you. You've been drawn to the light, but you don't want anyone else to know what's going on. You don't want anyone else to know what's going on in your heart. Not, not those beside you, not those in your home, not those in your family. You want to come to Jesus by night, just like Nicodemus. You want to come in the shadows. Well, if that's the case, my friend, if you want to come to Jesus by night, and if you want to have a nighttime meeting with Jesus, make sure that when you do, Jesus reminds you of what he reminded Nicodemus here in verse 3, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When you come to Jesus, Jesus is reminding you again and again, you must be born again. But for many people, and for Nicodemus, that statement doesn't make sense. What do you mean I have to be born again? The need to be born again, it's met with a misunderstanding. And that's what I want us to consider secondly. So we've considered the meeting. The meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. But now the misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding because Nicodemus says in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone. Who is born of the Spirit. This nighttime meeting with Jesus was going to have a radical impact upon Nicodemus. Because Jesus was going to correct Nicodemus' wrong view of salvation. He had a wrong understanding of salvation. And you know, it's remarkable that such a biblically literate man that he could misunderstand the simplicity of the gospel. Because as we said, Nicodemus, he would have known his Bible. 
He would have gone to church all his life. He would have been brought up in the church. He would have been a very religious man. He would have kept the laws of God as best as he could. And he would have known how to keep the Sabbath day. And yet he had a complete misunderstanding about salvation. Nicodemus was in darkness. Nicodemus was lost. And he was lost because he wasn't born again. And my unconverted friend here today. You may be like Nicodemus. You might know your Bible. You might have been brought up to know your Bible. You might have gone to church all your life and gone to Sunday school. You might be a very religious Sabbatarian. But if you're unconverted, you're lost. There's no two ways about it. You're lost. Because you have misunderstood the simplicity of the gospel. You haven't been born Again. And we can see Nicodemus's misunderstanding from the question he asks in verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It seems that Nicodemus's question, it's a genuine question because he knows that he's misunderstanding what it means to be born again. He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He's asking... Is it a physical birth that you're talking about? And if it is, how is that possible? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter this into his mother's womb a second time and be born? He says, that doesn't make sense to me. That's not how it works. What do you mean to be born again? What are you talking about being born again? And Jesus explains that being born again is not something physical. It's something spiritual. And what Jesus makes clear to Nicodemus is that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, we cannot enter the kingdom of God by our physical birth. In fact, our physical birth keeps us out of the kingdom of God. The Bible reminds us that we're conceived in iniquity. We're born in sin. Our physical birth keeps us out of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter if we're born into a Christian home with Christian parents and our father is an elder and our mother is a godly Christian woman. It doesn't matter if we have a good upbringing under the sound of the gospel and we went to Sunday school and we sat in church all our life. It doesn't matter because the only way to enter God's kingdom, as Jesus says, is to be born again. And here is Nicodemus and he's asking Jesus, what do you mean? You have to be born again. What do you ask? What are you saying to me? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus speaks about water and the spirit, he's not saying that you need baptism and the spirit in order to be born again. Because as we said, baptism has no power to save whatsoever. But what Jesus teaches Nicodemus is that he needs cleansing from sin and he needs to be made alive by the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, the water that Jesus mentions here and the water that is used in baptism, it's all symbolic. It's symbolic of cleansing from sin. But, you know, as we all know, it's not water that cleanses us from sin. The Bible says it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. From all sin. 
And the spirit that Jesus talks about is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who works in our heart to bring us from death to life, from darkness to light, from the dungeon to liberty. It's the Holy Spirit who brings about that work of what we call regeneration. Regeneration. Now, Scott will know what I mean when I talk about a generator. A generator, as everyone knows, it produces electricity. It produces power. It makes a cable that was dead to be live, full of power. So when we talk about regeneration, we mean something that was once live, then went dead, but has to be made alive again. That's regeneration. Bringing back to life. And that's what the Bible describes as being born again. Because when God created this world and the beauty of it, he created us. He created us perfectly in his own image and in his own likeness. And he breathed into Adam the breath of life. He made him a living soul. God made man living. He made him live. But because of the sin of Adam, because of Adam's sin and disobedience, We are now all infected with this problem. And we are all conceived in iniquity. We're all born in sin. Which means that we're born spiritually dead. In our trespasses and sins we're dead. And we need to be made alive again. We need to be regenerated. We need to be made alive. We need to be made brand new. We need to be born again. And you know that's what baptism symbolizes to us. That we need to be born again. And when a child is baptized. The symbol of baptism. Is reminding us that that child. Must be born again. That child is as young as they may be. They have to be born again. And you know my unconverted friend. If you were baptized as a child. And even if you weren't baptized as a child. If you were baptized as a child and you're still not saved. Witnessing baptism today. You will witness it. Witnessing baptism today. It ought to remind you. You must be born again. You must be born again. You need to be cleansed from your sin. You need to be given a new birth. You need to have a new beginning. You need to be given a new heart. You need to become a new creation. You need to be made like a newborn baby. You must be born again. You must be born again. And you know Jesus he says to Nicodemus. Do not marvel that I said to you. You must be born again. And Jesus says that. Because in many ways Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. And to you. That in order to be saved. You need to become like a little child. In order to be saved, you need to become like a little child. And you know, my unconverted friend, Donnie's baptism here today, it's not only reminding you that you need to be born again. When you see Donnie, he will be held by his mother and his father. When you see any child that is that small, they're being held. They can't walk. But when we witness a child, they should make us realize that we need, in order to be born again, we need to become like a little child. 
We need to become like a little child. You know, this is what Jesus often emphasized. That in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to let go of self. You have to let go of self. You have to let go of whatever it is that's holding you back and completely depend upon the Lord for your salvation. Because as you know, Donnie and every other child, they're completely dependent upon someone else to do everything for them. They can't do anything for themselves. They can't pay for their food. They can't prepare their meals. They can't even feed themselves. They can't wash themselves. They can't dress themselves. They can't do anything for themselves. They're completely dependent. All they can do is just throw their arms wide open and just cry to their parents for help. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. You must be born again. You must become like a little child and completely depend upon me. You must be born again. You need to let go of self, Jesus is saying. You need to let go of whatever it is that's holding you back and just go on your knees and throw your arms wide open and cry to Jesus for mercy. You need to go on your knees, my friend. You need to throw your arms wide open and cry to Jesus for mercy. Because, my friend, you must. This is a must of necessity. You must be born again. And so in relation to the importance of baptism, this passage is presenting to us the meeting the misunderstanding. And lastly, the message. The message. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? <coughs> truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And you know, after all that Jesus said and taught, Nicodemus still didn't get it. And as we said earlier, it's remarkable that a very religious man who knew his Bible, who would have gone to church all his life, and yet Nicodemus completely understood the, the simplicity of the gospel. And my friend, the simplicity of the gospel... Is that you must be born again. It's a must of necessity. You need to have a new beginning. You need to have a new heart. You need to become a new creation. You need to be made brand new. Just like a little child. And like a little child you need to come to Jesus. Completely dependent upon him. Throwing your arms wide open. And crying to him for mercy. My friend baptism. Is all about the need to be born again. And as those who have brought children for baptism in the past, including myself, and today, I want to say to you today that the best thing that you can do for your children is to be a committed Christian. The best thing you can do for your children is be a committed Christian. The best thing we can do for the child we have promised to bring up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is to be a living example for them. Because their greatest need is for us to teach them how to love, follow, and serve the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And they can't be taught by only sending children to Sunday school for one hour a week. They have to be taught by our example. They have to be taught in our home. They have to be taught sitting in church. They have to be taught living in our community. And you know, I don't understand why we don't bring our children to church when there's no Sunday school. Because the church is still open. The word is still being proclaimed. Our responsibility to our children, it still stands. And children are to be part of church. Part of church life. They're not to be just farmed off to Sunday school. And speaking to you as a parent. Not just as a minister. I know that it's hard to come to church with children. And I know it's not easy to get to come to church and make them sit quietly. But for me, don't worry about noise. Don't worry about any noise or children being restless. It doesn't bother me. I would far rather you be in church as a family with your children under the sound of the gospel. I would far rather that than you stay at home and you hear nothing. My friend, this is what we vow to do. We vowed to bring up our children to know and love the Lord. And so the best thing we can do for our children is to be a committed Christian. The best thing we can do for our children is to be a committed Christian. You know, it was the 19th century preacher and author, J.C. Ryle. I find myself always quoting J.C. Ryle. You're probably sick of him. But he lived in the 19th century and he's the most I find him still as relevant for us in the 21st century. And this quote, I put it in your intimations, where Ryle says, Parents, seek to imitate Christ for your children. Take care what you do in front of your child. It is a true proverb. He who sins before a child sins double. Strive rather to be a living example of Christ, such as your families can read. Be an example of reverence for the word of God. Reverence in prayer, reverence for the means of grace, reverence for the Lord's day. Be an example in words, in temper, in diligence, in temperance, in faith, in charity, in kindness, in humility. Do not think, says Ryle, do not think that your children will practice what they do not see you doing. You are their model picture, he says. They will copy what you are, your reasoning and your lecturing. Your wise commands and good advice. All this they may not understand. But they can understand your life. And you know, when I read that, it struck me. And my responsibility as a parent. A Christian parent. My friend, it's a solemn reminder to us that the best thing we can do for our children. Is be a committed Christian. Because their greatest need is for us to teach them to love and follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will do that when we hear the message Nicodemus heard and follow Jesus. Because you know the message that Nicodemus heard, it's a message we've all heard from our youth. John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. My friend, by witnessing the sacrament of baptism this morning, we are all being reminded that we must
be born again. You must be born again. For except a man, a woman, a boy or a girl be born again, they cannot, they will not, it is impossible for them to enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You must come to Jesus like a little child, throwing your arms wide open and crying to him for mercy. You must be born again. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. And let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee for the wonder of the Gospel, that Thou art a God who has so loved us and given to us the greatest gift, the gift of Thine only begotten Son. Help us, Lord, to be thankful. Help us to praise Thee from the depth of our heart and help us to come, or to come on bended knee, throwing our arms wide open, coming like little children, depending upon the Saviour, the Saviour who loved us and gave himself for us. Bless us, Lord, in all that we seek to do today, that it would be to thy glory, to the furtherance of thy kingdom, and to lift up the name of Jesus. Take away our iniquity, receive us graciously, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, before we... Uh, come to the sacrament of baptism. We're going to sing again, this time in Psalm 23. Actually, can I change it to Psalm 127? We'll, see, we'll save Psalm 23 for when the Sunday school kids are in. Psalm 127. Psalm 127, page 420. We're singing the whole psalm. Psalm that reminds us that we need to build our house upon the Lord. Because if we don't build our house on the Lord, we're building our life in vain. And we need to build our house upon the Lord. Because our children are the Lord's heritage. They are the womb's fruit. They are those whom we are to bring up in the world to seek Jesus. Psalm 127, except the Lord do build the house, the builders lose their pain. Except the Lord the city keep, the watchmen watch in vain. We'll sing the whole psalm to God's praise.
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So again, engage in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, our gracious God, we thank you and we praise thee that the covenant promise that was given to Abraham long ago, that it is for all the families of the earth, that the promise was to us and to our children. And we pray, Lord, for Scott and Mary, that they bring up Donny day by day, that they would have the grace to do so, that they would have strength even in family life and in their home, that they would know thy presence, that they would know thy blessing, that they would know Jesus as their saviour, that he would be the one in whom they focus upon, the one they love, the one they look to, the one they know as the good shepherd, who promises to us that goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. Lord, remember the family connected to them. We thank you, Lord, for, the, for Scott and Mary's parents. We pray for Annie and Norman, and for Kenny and Joan. We pray that thou wouldst bless them, that thine hand would be upon them as they encourage their children, and even their children's children. And Lord, we plead that all the extended family, as they gather here today, that they would know that every promise it is to us and to our children, that these promises, they are great and precious. Help us to cling to them. Bless us, Lord, as a congregation as we witness this, that we would pray for Scott and Mary and Donnie, and that we would encourage them to keep looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. All continue with us, Lord, we pray. Go before us. Cleanse us, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. singing the words of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, I'm sitting down. Uh, we're going to sing the whole psalm, it's on page 229. Psalm 23. The Sunday school should know this psalm. The Lord's my shepherd, I will watch. He makes me down to lie. In pastures green, he leadeth me. The quiet waters by. The whole psalm to God's praise. The Lord's my shepherd,
Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>